0: Are
1: you ready? What's going on here? Resistance is futile.
0: This, indeed, you are Paul, is it's in my hand. Oh. Fan effect.
1: Hey, everybody! Welcome to another episode of Fan Effect, sponsored by Larry H. Miller Megaplex Theaters, the best place to see a movie in the state of Utah, and they prove it time and time again, including the movie we're going to talk about today. The big one to kick off the summer movie season Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Hi, my name's Andy Farnsworth. I'm with uh, KSL News Radio, KSL Television, and uh, joining me today uh, is my co host, Kellyanne Halverson. Welcome back, Kellyanne. Hi.
0: I'm so glad we're together again.
1: Yes, we've had some issues with the podcasting studios to where it's difficult to get more than two people at a time, but we're making it happen, and we're welcoming back our friend from what is your blog called now, Natalie? (laughs) Changed it.
2: (laughs) Nat's Nerd Knowledge.
1: Nat's Nerd Knowledge, and Nat is here again.
2: No, is that? But now I have. um, I'm very active on TikTok and Instagram, so go on there with a lot of fun Marvel and Disney memes from me.
1: And we're really glad to have Natalie with us because we're right before we were going to record this uh, really close to the release of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, why don't you tell the story really <laughs> quick, Nat?
2: I was out for a lovely jog on a on a spring morning when it was a lovely 55 degrees. I was crossing in front of a parking lot exit when a man in his BMW hit me because the sun was in his eyes and he didn't see me. So I had, had a bunch of broken bones and got some teeth knocked out, so I apologize for my little lisp. I, got some I bet nobody in. even
1: would have noticed.
2: <laughs> I had to focus very hard. I can't say safety. Safety is the one I can't say right. <laughs> but um, no, I am so happy to be alive and that. Um, thank you guys for pushing this so we could talk about Guardians. You're my favorite people to talk about movies with. So.
1: Well, we're glad to have you. And so we said, you know, we'll, we'll wait if, if we need to so we can get the best quality discussion possible. And. You know, it wasn't your fault you got hit by the car, so how could we penalize you for that?
2: Oh, thank you, guys. <laughs> if it was
0: my fault, then you guys would be like, no.
1: I, yeah, I just- <laughs> no, we're very, we have low tolerance for people when it's their own fault. But this time.
0: <laughs> I just <it's-> want to <laughs> know if you can say rocket, because that's going to be important today.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Rocket. No, that's fine. Just no S's. Okay, we're good then. We're Star-Lord. Good then. <laughs> that's the wrong
2: with <laughs> Star-Lord. <laughs> Star-Lord.
1: All right, so the big movie to kick off the year, uh, the summer movie season, which, by the way, used to start around Memorial Day. And then about 20 years ago, Spider-Man comes out on May 3rd, 2002, makes so much money Mm -hmm. that they're like, wait a minute, I guess we could release movies sooner than Memorial Day and it will still make money. Mm -hmm. The thought process was generally if kids were in school, they couldn't make as much money uh, as they could once Memorial Day generally was the end of the school year, so... 20 years ago, we get that. Now Marvel has essentially owned that first weekend in May ever since, almost exclusively. Basically, yeah, yeah. And definitely since uh, Iron Man. So now we have Guardians Volume 3 kicking off the 2023 summer movie season. And boy, there's a lot. The final chapter in the trilogy by James Gunn, mm-hmm. uh, they took a, a group in 2014's original Guardians that um, – I mean, even I'm a diehard comics person and I didn't know that much about them. In fact, I didn't care that much about them initially because, you know, I was into the mainstream superheroes, you know, Captain America, Thor, all the ones that I was hoping to see on screen. So then. Guardians comes out, and then it looks like it's kind of goofy, and then it looks like it's, I, I don't know what. But. Well,
0: because it didn't have those expectations of years of movies already made, they were able to create that love right from the first movie, and I think right. that's why it's been such a success.
1: No, it was yeah. a good move because it brought in people who weren't nerds like me to, you know, because <laughs> honestly, uh, when it first came out, it was like, I mean, I liked all the movies, other than maybe Incredible Hulk, it was like my least favorite of the series because I just didn't. I wasn't invested in them. I was really invested in what they were trying to build up towards Avengers at the moment. Yeah. Not yeah, realizing yeah. how they would all come together.
2: But it was also, there were such awkward characters. Like, when I saw the previews, I was like, a tree and a raccoon and a bunch of aliens. Because it was kind of, besides Thor, it was like kind of the first series outside of Earth. And for me, right. I was like, am I going to get into this? But, you know, James has done such a great job at making them so great and lovable and relatable all at the same time.
0: And for me, Chris Pratt was in it, so I was
2: fine. You're right. Parks and Rec. For which guys. is funny because
1: oh, yeah. he wasn't ripped until about this role. He was just <laughs> well, sort he- of dumpy Andy on Parks and Rec. <laughs> well, they- and then between this and he-, he got like two, he got two or three roles all in a row. This, uh, the first uh, Jurassic World, which was the next year. Mm-hmm. And I want to see get into one other action movie. I can't remember what. But at any rate, then all of a sudden he goes from, you know, dumpy Andy to, like, totally ripped and jacked, you know, Star-Lord and (laughs) Owen. I forget what Owen's name last name was. but
2: They actually gave him the option of not beefing up, like, the rest of the Avengers. He's like, I'm not standing next to Chris Evans looking like this. So he actually did, like, P90X and started running and got in shape.
1: You can read some of his interviews online of what he was allowed to eat while he was getting in shape. And it was like he got to eat, like, two lettuce leaves with a piece of cottage cheese on it a day. Well, he was doing crazy workouts. But... Well, then they
0: even mentioned in Parks and Rec, because in the series, he goes off to London and everything. Oh, yeah. And um, when he's visited by one of his friends, he's like, he was all ripped and everything. What did you stop doing? He's like, I just stopped drinking beer. How much beer were you drinking?
1: <laughs> yeah, that so was a good. hilarious way to explain away his but physical transformation. We're
0: very grateful he did make that transformation for these films. And for
2: auditioning. Apparently, he's auditioned for all the Marvel characters. And yeah, they that kept came out during down. the
1: publicity for Volume 3, yeah. that we found out that he kept getting turned down for all the different roles and so he's like i guess i'm never going to be part of the marvel universe
2: and now he's like a favorite Yay. and he's oh i won't spoil anything yeah, yeah, you wait, can spoil the, okay. the movie's and he's going to come for three back weeks. somehow and i'm Woo-hoo. excited to see how he's going to come back
1: <laughs> all right so let's dive in then on guardians of the galaxy volume three let's hear just a little clip from the trailer my sacred mission is to create the perfect society He just hated things the way they are. Uh... It's hard to do trailers on the radio, as I've learned over the years.
0: My friends incinerate them. But Great music for these. That's like half the point of the movies.
1: Right. So we're going to get into that because I was less than impressed with the soundtrack on Volume 3 personally. I mean, I like that they included some music that I knew. I'm not a 1970s music fan like James Gunn (laughs) apparently is.
0: I am. Uh, He's probably
1: older than me, but I don't know. Uh, So the first one, he at least picked hits that I knew. The second one... He didn't pick very many that I knew, but a couple of them, you know, Brandy, your fine girl, the main theme, that one kind of grew on me. But for this third one, like, I only. I think I only recognized a couple of songs, including Beastie Boys. I like that. Although it was funny, oh, I, I thought that. "Sabotage" I would have been the 90s. a perfect. It,
0: it
2: was pretty cool. I loved it. Star Trek already claimed "Sabotage," and the first <laughs> everyone's Star Trek. claimed that "Sabotage." Oh, I love Every that. Every movie but... uses
1: "Sabotage." That's kind of what I was half expecting it, but but you know, "No Sleep Till Brooklyn" was kind of clever too.
2: <laughs> but he also used a lot of '80s and '90s, like yeah, Florence and the Machine as like the grand finale song. And yeah, actually, I, loved... I think that it was, was progressing just like the storyline. The, the
1: song when it opened was the. I don't remember what it was they were using a sort of a, a a melancholy version of a of a of a song that i recognized anyway all right so guardians of the galaxy volume 3 picks up uh, after avengers endgame so volumes 1 and 2 take place before infinity war and endgame uh volume 3 takes place i don't i think they've said the exact time frame was a couple two or three years maybe maybe not that much at any it was point a bit after it's a
0: christmas special which was awesome obviously
1: the christmas special i forgot <laughs> to add that um but you got to. You start off with. Uh, really, you start off with a little bit of a flashback yeah. uh, yep. to a raccoons in a cage, uh, or at least we assume they're raccoons. They sure look like raccoons. A um, bunch of little baby raccoons, and then the ominous hand reaching in to grab one, and and the one raccoon looks scared. And the next thing you know, we see the Guardians as they are today, minus Gamora, um, living on the planet nowhere. The head of the Celestial, and Peter Quill's a drunk. Uh, mm-hmm. Nebula's sort of trying to hold the team together. She's kind of like the de facto co-leader at this point. It's
2: like the, her great story arc, I think. Cause...
1: Yeah, she got some good treatment, I think, overall from where she started to where she finished. And goodness gracious, and
2: a super cool arm,
1: Karen but... Gillan. Oh, yeah. It's almost <laughs> impossible to believe that the same girl who looks like Ruby Roundhouse in the. Uh, in the Jumanji movies, it right. <laughs> looks like Nebula. In fact, I think I told my daughter when we were watching it, and she's like, what? <gasps> yes, For me, she's is. always
2: the
0: doctor's companion. Oh, and see, I never is watched Doctor Underworld? Who enough yeah. to know that. Oh. But
1: but yes, I'm sure for a huge segment and of like, fandom. And like in
0: both ways, she has so much strength in both roles, even though they're so different than each other. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah.
1: Right. In fact, I was watching another interview of hers where she... <laughs> She scheduled couples therapy during filming. Yeah, on her makeup, and she still had for some of the days she still had her full head makeup. When so it's this Zoom call with her and her doctor, and I don't know, it, it's her <laughs> boyfriend or her husband, but uh, they're all in it, and and she's in like Nebula head makeup.
2: Yeah, but she's gotten so much praise for her performance in this movie, and I agree. I think she did a fabulous job as. Her last hurrahs,
0: Nebula, for sure. Versatility, strength, com- comedy. We, even in the trailer, there's just seeing a lot of the comedy come out from her. Like it's it's fantastic.
1: And yeah. she has the, a great shade of black in her eyes, yes, even yes. though they were replaced <laughs> exactly. as were a tortured. method of torture.
0: <laughs> Don't look at me like that.
1: <laughs> All right. So the Guardians are sitting there. Suddenly, uh, they're randomly attacked by a gold guy <laughs> who they can barely fight off. Uh, they do, oh, and so only problem is that uh, Rocket. Suffers a pretty critical injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gold guy gets away. They don't know anything about him. But they also know that they can't seem to fix Rocket because, as it turns out, uh, there's some technology around his heart that prevents him to help him. So after doing some investigating, they find out that it's um, from this genetic corporation, OG Corp or something like that. OG Corp. But uh, they go to. they have to figure out how to go find the technology to be able to fix him. Um, it's a good thing they have Nebula who can plug things into her head like data on Star Trek, <laughs> yep. uh, to be able to interpret stuff or who knows what would have happened if she hadn't left Thanos. Um, we get, uh, you know, there's the side joke of, of, uh, Cosmo being called a bad dog by Kraglin that then <laughs> becomes like a running plot as a, as a side story. Uh, they break into the goop place to get, oh, uh, ugh. The station that's grown out of matter, which, if you think about it, it's like living tissue, and,
2: and like- but Nathan Fillion's in it, so it's fine. Right, <laughs> and that's where we get to
1: meet Nathan Fillion's character. He was in all three Guardians, by the way. Did you know that? I, right?
2: What? Yeah, he's in all three of them.
0: Is he like aliens and you can't tell who he is in the other? Yeah, ones? Mike, like Michael Rosenbaum is also he does I think a he's voice in, in number and third two. One. I think. Okay, that makes me so happy because he's one of my favorite people because of Firefly and right. Serenity, and then he does a lot of DC comic stuff. So that makes me very happy. He's he's in the Marvel universe as well.
1: Yes, yeah. and and he's funny in this role too. You know the mm-hmm. the the way he <laughs> has to deal with the dumb boss's nephew that he doesn't even bother to <laughs> to hide how we much have he's one insulting of those too. him. <laughs> Uh, they get in. They find out that they the stuff gets uh, – that the information they need has been stolen. Uh, this starts to point them in the direction of a guy named the High Evolutionary. The uh, very creepy face. Who becomes the big villain of the movie. And then inter- interspersed with all this is Rocket's experiences while he's in a coma. I don't know if these are flashbacks or if they're just showing us as flashbacks. I never quite could tell in both viewings I of the think, movie. I think because
2: it's the last movie and there's – again, it's kind of like Endgame where there's such a huge cast. I think – What James Gunn did so well in this movie is that they put a focus more than defeating a bad guy. It's about saving a friend and it's about saving Rocket. So I love having those flashbacks and we get to learn more about Rocket because he's a one character we just don't know much about, and you just fall in love with him so much more in this movie.
0: And well, I definitely interpret it as he's having those flashbacks as he's in the coma phase or, or thinking about his life before then. So
1: That's what it felt like to me. But, you know, in the comics, it doesn't necessarily have to be done as True. a narrative yeah. structure. Like, that, And that's why I didn't know for sure one way or the other. I didn't know if you guys had read anywhere if it said. But it felt like it was him flashing back and everything. And, of course, you find out that uh, he... He was given – we never find out exactly what the high evolutionary did to him. Uh, Did he put a different brain in or did he do some kind of experiment? Did he inject something? We don't know what happened. We do see that he has a shaved top of his head when Mm -hmm. he comes back from surgery. He can now talk and he's starting to be smart. My gosh, how heartbreaking is the – Oh, like, when he says his first <laughs> word is hurts.
2: Oh, oh I know. Is, oh. It's so sad. But the high evolutionary in the comics, like, he just alters DNA and genetics. So I'm sure that's what he did with Rocket.
0: But we definitely have his some brain me- and- mechanical. Oh, no, because there's some oh, yeah, other there's stuff. Definitely he, mechanical he's also things like Sid too.
1: from Toy Story mm-hmm. as far as oh, how animals go. Yeah, oh my
0: God, That is such a good connection there. He,
2: yeah. Kellyanne's a huge animal lover, and I yeah, am too. I well, and that, that was one of really the things that I heard from I a lot of people. Hard, yeah.
1: By the way, I guess we should, I will just note it in the, prior, in the description. We're two weeks we're, out. There's we're, no. We're, we're, no, I know, but just so people don't <laughs> for some reason think there's, we're, we're, we're spoiling all the way through here, but I mean, we'll make sure that that's written in the description on the online portion too, but so we find out that Rocket was there's known the high evolutionary for a long time. We never knew his origin, although in all three movies he insisted he's not a raccoon, not even a raccoon. though he's yeah. obviously a raccoon. Trash and, and or a trash panda as uh, that that was the funniest line in Guardians Volume 2. I laughed <laughs> so hard at that the first time I saw it. Is that bad? It's so, so bad. much worse. <laughs> <laughs> um we got uh we find out that he's he's kind of cellmates with uh Chumley, with the walrus. I'm gonna call him Chumley, but that was uh, that was an old cartoon. It's teafs. Tennessee teafs. Tuxedo and Chumley the Water. You can
2: call me Teefs. Your Teefs, and you got floor
1: because she's lying on the floor. The the spider bunny, bunny. which by oh. the way, if you can make a sympathetic character out of a spider bunny, mm-hmm.
0: then you've done a good job. With the big scary thing over her mouth. Oh my gosh, and it's, face. it's like the baby head with Sid in Toy oh, Story. You love him anyway, <laughs>
1: right? But it's still like I mean, it doesn't oh, I know, have a mouth. So, it's yeah. got like a, a it's steep, got like a like, Mad Max yeah. face going mm-hmm. on. So, and then, what, Lila, was that the other one? Yeah,
2: Lila. Lila. She's in the comics. Mm-hmm. And
1: Lila, she was voiced by... She's the
0: otter creature. Yes.
1: But she, her voice was... I was searching through the whole movie oh. to find out who voiced... I will, not who I voiced am- her, but I saw the name in the credits, and I was like, wait, which one was Lila? And so, uh, but at any rate, great job. Very sympathetic. An otter with no arms, just the robotic arms. They have some fun together. You have no idea what it's building towards, so that when it does happen... You're heartbroken by these four mutant animals that you've never met before, and suddenly you're so sad that they're gone. Because anytime you kill something that has a sympathetic voice and a heart of gold, mm-hmm. you can't help, no matter what they look like.
0: And they have so much hope, even though they're in terrible situations. Sky, and, they're going oh go to go to the New World. Yeah, they believe everything yeah, that the
2: high evolutionary is telling them about they themselves. Have friends for the first time. No, actually, time. he never
1: told them. I don't think he ever told them they were going to the New World. He just said he was making them for the New World, and that's a big distinction because... Rocket assumed the same thing till he found out otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, we a, find out that Rocket, um, you know, as we go along, we learn after he solves the problem with the evolutionary scale that he's mm-hmm. trying to do for the animals. Which
2: is uber creepy, by the way, but also yeah. really cool graphics. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and just to answer your question, Andy, it's Linda, Cardi- Linda Card- Cardellini. Linda Cardellini, yes.
1: That was Hawkeye's wife yeah. in oh, the Marvel Universe Yeah, well done
2: Scooby-Doo. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Yes, yes. So yes. Yeah, and so, I was like, Linda Carlini was this, but she was the voice of of Lila. And actually, another cameo which we'll get to later is Judy Greer, who played uh, Scott Lang's wife. In, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. She voiced the, the what is his name, the pig. The Pig. The oh war pig. War pig. Yes, oh, yeah. that was Judy Greer. So. <laughs> I love her. We have. <laughs> We, we, what we come to find out is that the reason that High Evolutionary is obsessed with Rocket is because he's the only one who's ever managed to evolve beyond just being able to learn what they programmed. He able to, was able to understand things beyond. And yep. Plus, you know, for somebody like uh, the High Evolutionary, the ego hit of one of his creations, understanding something better than him, uh, he looked like he came in drunk, actually. Oh, that, he was not he, happy. He, um,
0: well, and and they do it in such a beautiful way because he, you know he's this little baby raccoon. You see him progress as like toddler to a childlike one, and he's just this genius little kid. And he animal. keeps scavenging
1: parts. You don't know what for.
0: Oh, naive. and he just wants to be loved. He just wants to be loved and have Is his friends. So in a happy place. Plays. Oh, yeah. My
2: they brother will
1: get that joke. Get
2: so much sympathy. So much sympathy. Yeah,
1: right over your head. It's all right. All right. <laughs> that's so cool. back on cut. the main story, they they managed to get uh, out of. Uh, They managed to escape with with what they thought was the information they needed. Uh Um, They get away from uh, the organic lab. Then they find out they don't have the piece they need. So now they got to go actually find the high evolutionary himself in order to uh, steal the information from one of his recorders who I thought also could have been played by Titus Burgess if they had decided (laughs) to cast him in that role. Amen. In fact, yeah, at any rate, he seemed like Titus Burgess anyway. And you Um, forgot
2: to mention that that piece is missing because a high evolutionary wants to build a new society so he needs Oh place.
1: yeah, no, we'll get to that cuz that's yeah. what brings us to Counter Earth, the place that looks just like Earth only with the high evolutionary in this as the Statue of Liberty.
0: And really weird oh. human animal people. Well, they're called yeah. either
1: they're either called animen or, or, inhumans. or Well, they're not Inhumans. Inhumans are the Cree, oh, oh uh, But they're, they're either animen or there's uh, like creepy. another They're
0: called creepy. <laughs>
1: they're like that too but he so these are the result of what rocket fixed is now you have all these evolved animals living essentially on an earth like ours Mm -hmm. with the same problems obviously as earth like ours and you know uh, a lot of things happen I mean we don't have to recap every single thing but uh, they get into the ship they have a plan uh, they just need to get the data out of the recorder and all this is just to save rocket but at the same time high evolutionary wants rocket oh by the way the, the, what are the, what's the society called again? The Gold People. I forget their name all of a sudden now that I'm talking about oh my it. Gosh. Oh, with
0: Adam and everything, is they're going yeah. after The Sovereign. Mm-hmm. sovereign. Mm-hmm. So the
1: Sovereign are looking to get Rocket also, but only because they want to get the credit for getting Rocket. So uh, Adam Warlock comes back in. Um, the, the, the high, the, the high evolutionary the launches eyebrows. his ship, guy. blows up the planet because it isn't what he wanted. Yeah, guy with the eyebrows.
0: <laughs> um, Poor guy.
1: Well, and, and that's
0: what's kind of cool is they wanted. He wanted to create this utopian society, and of course, it was totally messed up because people are not perfect. And I think that was something super interesting that we can talk a little deeper about that as well at yeah. some point. But uh, yeah, but super he, it wasn't
1: working. He'd gone mm-hmm. as far as to create that Earth, and then he blew it up because he's just going to start over and you see this throughout like mm-hmm. he doesn't care he doesn't care about the things that he's doing he just wants to complete the task mm-hmm. and whatever whatever is the in the process is in the process it's not important to him at all so very but all film. the rest yeah. of us very important to us and uh, at any rate they they they, get, they they all finally end up on the same spaceship, <laughs> despite a series of misadventures.
2: Eventually. This and happens.
1: eventually, then the Nowhere Head, which we didn't know could be piloted like a ship.
0: Apparently. But apparently can.
1: Uh, flies up, and then we, we commence with the big final space battle that Go eventually... Crablin.
0: You have to have a final space battle. I mean, of course. Come on. This is the yes. final of Guardians of the Galaxy.
1: Of course. And, uh, and it has to be different. And the Guardians yes. win, and none of the Guardians die, which... Kind of, we all thought what? at least one of them was going to die, but none of them did, which, <laughs> of course, I think makes almost I everybody was waiting. happy. I was, was
2: waiting. Yeah. I was emotionally prepared for Rocket or Star-Lord to die or Drax. Those are my three guesses. Well, I you knew Drax. that, I well, totally and again,
1: the real life comes in. You knew that uh, Dave Bautista didn't want to play Drax anymore. Right? So you figured mm-hmm. there's no more movies. And Zoe That's
2: Saldana
0: a, was done playing Zoe Gamora. Saldana was done yeah. with Gamora.
1: I didn't think they'd kill her because they already did that once. Yeah. Um, we
0: already got that emotional. But heart you know, it rate. could have been
1: to... it could have been anybody. It could have been Peter Quill because we didn't know if he was going to come back as Star Lord. We didn't. I think we, it Chris was Pratt, we didn't He know. wants to
0: come back, so I wasn't anticipating him him going. I
2: going. feel like they had to keep one of the Guardians continuing. Mm-hmm. But again, I was like, I don't. Marvel's well, done remember. a good job at making us think something, but then they're all. And usually, it's like the thing, the simplest thing that's just going to tell the best story. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was <laughs> going to say. There's, there's a yeah. two
1: pronged thing here of, of reality that even intrudes on the fantasy. One is. Writers, whether they should or not, you know, whether they should serve as fans or not, that's that's up to each writer. But there's, there's this thing in writers who they want to tell something completely original. I will confess, I've told this in other episodes of our podcast, but mm-hmm. any of you who are joining for the first time or haven't listened to those episodes. I'm one of the people who thought in Toy Story 3 when they were all about to get incinerated, I knew they weren't going to get incinerated because... That was just it. It would make no money after its first oh, weekend, no. that and movie. Oh no, and
2: it's a kids movie. You Everyone can't do that. would go
1: and see it, and then no one would go and see it.
2: Yeah.
1: Oh, you can do that. There's a movie called Old Yellow. There's a movie called Where the Red Fern Grows. Yeah, but aimed at kids.
2: Back then, you were allowed to be traumatized as a child to traumatize. That's what I'm
0: saying <laughs> because of the reality.
1: Narratively, of <laughs> these toys that they went out together because, like, they all locked arms. That's why everybody started crying. They all locked arms, and in your brain, you're like, no, they're not going to incinerate them. They're not going to incinerate them, but. You, everyone who watches that as an adult, the reason it was traumatizing is because you knew deep in your heart that that would have been a poetic and artistic ending for those characters. (laughs) You knew that,
2: but that's why it was traumatic because
1: you would know that there's no way they would do that to a kid's movie as an adult. You knew that, but there was a part of you that also understood that story wise, like we can't go on forever. We're toys. We're going to be outgrown. And if, mm-hmm. as long as we go out together, instead of being like sold at a yard sale to five different places, you knew that deep down. I believe that all the adults knew that they didn't want that to happen, but they were like, at least they went out together. And I thought that would be the most daring kids' movie ever Just recycle ever them made. Into
2: something else. Now like, I can't wait for Toy Story Five because Woody's gone and Woody's, so is Bo Peep. What are they going to do? I'm, I'm no, they're so split
1: confused. from the group. Yeah, that doesn't they're mean they're not going to be in the movie. Uh.
2: I know, so I'm like, okay, but that's how Woody would have gotten his great send-off. It's like, he got to be with his love, and now he's happy he's moved on. But then, I don't know. It's, this it's isn't gone. about Toy Story 5. This is about Guardians Galaxy. Right.
1: So, we didn't end up having any Guardians get lost.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And- but we do have the group, as it's known, break up.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And then which happens,
0: the... which is, I, I think is very emotionally
2: fulfilling and sad at the same time. And way. if you're going to end that movie, I yeah, end it with everyone kind of having their big story arc, but ending where they're supposed to be. So Nebula is now a leader instead of being like, you know, a second-rate sister. And then you have Rocket, who always insisted that he was the captain, and now he's actually the captain. And Peter, who's... You know, run away his whole life, is now
1: gone home. By the way, those of you who are listening, uh, every time Natalie hits the desk with her hand, (laughs) it makes that sound. So just know that she was making these hand motions to emphasize points.
2: I can't wait to speak in general conference so I
1: can do this. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. We'll we'll spare our listeners' ears any more of that. But we end, we've got a new team of guardians, Peter Quill's back on Earth, and we get the very final thing, which is the only reason you really need to stay for the, f- the for the second end credit scene, is the big splash, a la James Bond. <laughs> Star Lord will return, will so return. we'll get him back in something, whether it's his own movie or whether he continues on as part of uh, the Marvel Avengers mm-hmm. storyline. he is back on Earth, so yes. he could theoretically and team up. That's with the kind Avengers. of been the
2: focus. Is everyone's talking about Spider Man being the new leader down on Earth? So Ba-ba-ba.
1: who's talking about Spider Man being the new leader?
2: Uh, a bunch of uh, nerdy publications talking about having Spider-Man or Daredevil be kind of the the core of the uh, Earth
0: superheroes. So I wouldn't be surprised if Peter Quill that. kind of showed up. And I'm just excited for the Marvel, there. so I'm not even paying attention to the rest.
1: <laughs> well, and it may end up being Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel's led the Avengers a couple different times in the comics, so these are all and things Brie that could Larson happen.
0: Larson is amazing, so that'd be fantastic.
1: Natalie doesn't like the Captain Marvel as much as Kellyanne I does. i never wanted
2: to tell you this, Kellyanne, because you and I are two. Wonderful of friends,
0: but you don't need to take me to
2: the Marvel's pre screening, it's fine. <laughs> but did
0: you watch the Ms. Marvel series on Disney Plus? Yes, I did. Did you like it? No, oh, <laughs> oh wow, how friends. I loved how artistic and, yet, and creative and, yet, and fun yet, and nerdy, despite and
1: nerd our differences, girl we're together. We're I
2: know because well, I agree, I did like
0: the nerdiness of it, but mm. for me, I was like, Cause I think we're gonna get into some devices, and if me and you in this episode, but we're still I know. Friends.
1: And that's okay. That's part of what we like on Fan Effect is yep. the idea that you can have different opinions about it and no one's wrong unless mm-hmm. they disagree with me. No, just kidding. Um,
2: <laughs> and we've had many disagreements. It's
1: nobody's wrong. And that's one of the things that I feel is important to do in fandoms is to set an example of the fact that you can have differing opinions, but it doesn't have yes. to be divisive differing opinions. I actually think it's interesting to find out why different people say and do different things. Uh, or why they like things different than I did. And as long as you can explain it, I'm good with it. I'm good with it even if you can't explain it, but I sure prefer it when you can (laughs) explain it. It's always
2: very hard to tell someone to go see a movie that you liked because you're not sure it may not be something that, you know, their vibe. is discussing it. I mean, come on. Exactly. That's why I was like, when Kellyanne didn't like Guardians (laughs) 3, I'm like, this is going to be so much fun.
1: So we will discuss that after the break as we go in deep on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. All right, Fan Effect brought to you by Larry H. Miller Megaplex Theatres, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We've recapped the plot and kind of given some uh, preview of what we we're, uh, we're going to discuss here in this segment as we take a little, uh, a much deeper dive into what we saw, what we thought, and uh, uh, where we think Guardians can go after this. Do we want more? I'm sure that a lot of people do. But <laughs> <And> as long <laughs> yeah. as an IP exists that could potentially make money, Hollywood will money, money. use it to make money. So, but
2: it won't be James Gunn.
1: No, it will not be James Gunn. He has now moved on to take over the DC Cinematic Universe and to, that's a whole different podcast topic, oh my gosh, um, yes. <laughs> what he's going to do. But again, prejudge, don't prejudge. If you like Guardians, you should at least give Gunn a chance to see what he does with the DC Universe. I was not a big fan of uh, the Suicide Squad that he did. I, I don't even know if I liked it more than the first one. That may be blasphemy to some, but I just, <laughs> I don't. I don't I didn't think the first it. one was great, but I didn't hate the first Suicide Squad. But the second one, it just... I don't know. I'm trying to think of what I would describe. I just didn't like it. I, I'm not a fan For of me, Harley Quinn. I'm just not. It was and just so, too
2: bloody and just how many people can we kill in one movie? That's how it kind yeah, of
0: felt Yeah, and there were funny me.
1: parts. I mean, I thought King Shark was really funny, but... Um, I just was not a big fan. Anyway, I will so not admit James Gun- as much
0: as I love it because of other reputations I have. <laughs> you
1: have other reputations? <laughs> well, so Guardians Volume 3, let, let me just get to uh, what were the things you liked best about Guardians Volume 3, Natalie?
2: I loved the message within the movie. I thought it was a great way because you're intertwining everyone's um, sort of imperfections or their flaws and learning that each of them has something to contribute to the team. I loved that message throughout the whole thing. I also loved learning more about Rocket. Um, as hard and dark as it was to watch at some scenes, I thought um, it was very well done. And even though we didn't get to learn learn a whole lot about the high illusionary and, and his background in the movie, he still was just such a pitiful human being that you hate him from the very beginning and can't wait for the Guardians to eventually take him down. And like I said earlier, I do love what James Gunn did with this movie. It was less about taking down a bad guy but more about saving a friend. So it was more of a uniting um, – the Guardians are more united because they wanted to all save Rocket, especially Peter Quill. And I thought that was well, great. Well, Gamora
1: didn't.
0: She sort of helped at the end. <laughs> she sort of did. She, she warmed up She
1: almost it. derailed the whole thing. Okay, but, what about you,
0: Kellyanne? Oh, I don't even know how to explain it. You know, one thing I loved about the first two Guardians of the Galaxy was kind of how much of a fun, quirky, different kind of feeling film this was. And even though I not I know a lot of harsh stuff has happened to them to make you know their reality a lot darker, I just felt like it was it was too dark for me. Um, I also thought it was it was just it was a little too gruesome at times. Like uh, some of the animal stuff just hurt my heart too much. I was. You know, and I'm like a little baby biologist. I'm a massage therapist. I've done a lot of anatomy training and and cadaver labs and things like that. And I was grossed out about the organic building. So I don't know. There was just enough of some of these things that made me – a. A little too heartbroken or squeamish to, to enjoy it too much, although I do respect how what they were trying to do with saving a friend and building the individual characters there. I just – I wanted a Guardians of the Galaxy movie with a bit more humor and warmth in it than I feel like we got. So it, it wasn't that it was bad. I just didn't think it was good. It was as good as the expectations as I would have had for previous ones. But I do respect the fact that it was an evolution of the characters and their story arcs and and things like that. But maybe if there wasn't, you know, Drax being birthed through a wall, I I would have been a little bit more...
1: (laughs) That was hilarious. You were talking about not being so funny. That was hilarious.
0: Oh, it was so gross. The big and wet guy getting sounds. stuck in the Ugh. hole.
1: That's always like the that's that's always good for physical comedy. Oh, yeah.
0: uh, although I I always enjoy Manta and uh, Drax. Their their friendship is like almost one yeah. won everything else Since over for Christmas me. The Christmas special I've loved
2: their,
1: oh, my God. Mantis, their little side quests. Oh, uh, Mantis, Mantis had the, the biggest best, improvement yeah. from number two to number three. Was Mantis because hundred uh, percent? Oh, yeah, she was agree. she was hilarious through the whole thing. I actually thought that this was really funny. Like I, I really enjoyed. It. I, I'll differ with you at least as far as the humor part. Uh, for me, I thought it was really funny, and that was one of the things I liked best about it. Oh, um, for
2: me, I thought there were just all the all those dark moments with Rocket that sometimes. Sorry, <laughs> I pull my arms. I can't pull my arms. It hurts. Um, <laughs> that the dark moments with with Rocket sometimes when they jump into you know, to the present time of the Guardians, it was hard for me to laugh at some points because I had just watched something so sad, and I was like, am I allowed to laugh? Because I did not like the way that
0: Rocket was treated in that previous scene. But the juxtaposition, I think, is, is supposed to be...
1: Uh... It's to keep it from being too heavy for too long, mm-hmm. I oh, think. and i know, and you know just even too sensitive. Like, there, there's <laughs> a okay. double-edged sword of showing them getting along with the other animals is that it makes you feel much sadder when the other animals get, you know... Mm-hmm. Meet their end at the high evolutionary's hand, but and also because then when Rocket has to choose between staying with them when he's like right on death's door yep. or going back, you,
0: get the you, you at least understand yeah, <laughs> the the, white, the Kings the white Cross. cross yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought the same thing, <laughs> which did help me feel much better. And and Lila was beautiful and wonderful. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and I, I love the
2: idea that there's more after. I bawled so much at mm-hmm. that scene. Just you just know, like, any
1: time not- a movie makes you cry, that's a point in its favor. I mean, unless it makes you cry because you're so angry well, that it's so terrible. I, but, I cried
2: through most of this movie. Kellyanne was like, you cried through most of that. Movie. Like, you like, you
0: cried? Well, the <laughs> rocket
2: scenes, of course. But then I love like when Mantis, we'll talk about later, but Mantis is kind of talking about everyone's, even though we think they're quirks, but this, they're it's their strong points where Drax, do you think, is an idiot? but he's not. She goes, you were born to be a dad. And Mantis... Which
1: calls back to his original thing in the first Mm -hmm. place was he wanted revenge on Thanos.
2: And everyone thinks, uh, you know, Mantis is so, you know, airheaded, but it's because, but her strength is really, yeah, recognizing um, the strengths of everyone else. it's empathy and sincerity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: And she's sincere. She doesn't lie or make fun of people. I mean, Drax didn't lie because he just wasn't, that's not how his species processes yeah. thought. He just says everything, and that it's always been funny. It's funny to us because we do lie and we do hide all of our thoughts. Whereas, so somebody who doesn't do that, it makes us laugh in both being uncomfortable at. I hope I never have to say something like that. Yeah. Or ah, ha, 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 he's saying the thing that I'm thinking but not saying. Yeah. Um,
2: but we also get to because I think Mantis isn't being you know controlled by um, oh my gosh Star Lord's dad forget his name ego ego Ego. um that you know she gets to see her we get to see her personality a lot more in this and in the Christmas special too
0: and she's become she's become accepted by a group for who she is she doesn't have to manipulate as much in order to to survive like she has with ego so she really has come onto her own there and she's like one of my favorite people so yeah
1: now, I do know that the there were a lot of people who were uncomfortable with the – and that was the, the scuttle around the release of the movie was people were saying like if you I, – I knew multiple people who said, oh, I could never show this to my daughter or my mom or yeah, – you know, I said that in my review. Because I just – they, they would be up. too sensitive to the animal things. And so then I thought, well, I didn't feel that way. So am I heartless? First question. Yeah. Oh, Maybe. Sorry. But (laughs) maybe, but the second thing was, is like, okay, so assuming I'm not heartless, I have two dogs that I would never want to see anything bad happen to, uh, or, or anybody else's dogs or Mm -hmm. cats or pets Mm -hmm, for that mm -hmm. matter. Uh, why didn't it bother me? Well, partly because as I'm watching this, I understand I'm watching a movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I can decide how emotionally invested I want to be or how much I want to let certain emotional things affect me when it comes to stuff like that. Because it's not a documentary, it's not found footage, you know, it's not like based on a true story where, you know, when you watch stuff about real atrocities that humans have committed, uh, or when we hear news stories about real atrocities that people commit, then I kind of like to reserve my worry and outrage for that. And then the question in this was, what was its point? Like, this isn't like Saw kind of a thing. You know, as far as the story goes, High Evolutionary is trying to do a thing. um, I guess in my my male mind or my, at least my logical <laughs> mind, the idea is, well, how did we get a lot of things done? You, you know, you have to f- figure out where it is. Uh, you know, uh, this could be a metaphor for the beauty products we have that were tested on animals before mm-hmm. they figured out ways to get around that. Um, you know, it's nice to be in a position where and to have the choice to where you can say, I don't want to choose Things that are done that way, it's it's good that we can be in that position, um, but it also goes to establish his villainy. And when it comes down to it, there were no animals in the movie. Not
2: true, at all. true. Uh, mm-hmm.
1: You know, and did we feel just as bad about all the humanoid animals that were incinerated when the ship lifted off oh, as we geez. were about the? <laughs> The ones that were, you know, the, the ones that were in the high evolutionaries cages. I mean, I'll
0: admit, yeah, because you we, know, we have
1: a lot we have to process. We kind of have to choose
0: what. Well, we also we have children to. in cages. Um, as we yes. progress as well, so I, yeah. I think just the similarity. Between Thankfully,
1: we didn't see any of them getting naive, the experimented on. Oh.
0: Children, uh, animals, and then also children makes it really difficult.
1: Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's some additional philosophical. Uh, debates that could be had, but I, that takes the fun out of Guardians, and what we want to talk about is some of the fun stuff. So, um, to me, uh, I, I liked it more than two. Uh, two, I never really thought was that great. I just didn't. I
0: never got into it, yeah.
1: Um. But three I thought was better. The stakes weren't universal, mm-hmm. but they were... Universal to the people involved. Yeah. I mean, the the people who are being experimented they on. Were universal is emotional, and I
0: right, think right. That, but it <laughs>
1: wasn't like they got to do this, or else every living thing in the, <laughs> the gonna galaxy is going to die. Will
0: be destroyed, or at least half of them. It's
2: their friend will be killed.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So there's that personal down to to this to an understandable, very one-on-one type level. And that's to me, those are always the best stories. If it happens to be that they save a, a greater number of things in the process, but. You know, after twenty to thirty movies where they're saving the galaxy or the world, it's nice to have something a little bit tighter focused, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe
1: that's what it was. But part of it was familiarity with the characters too. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we these are people we've known now for almost ten years, and we've seen in at least six movies and a holiday special. Uh, so we've connected <laughs> the to them over specials. a long time. Whereas you know, Shang Chi or the Eternals or mm-hmm. some of these other ones where we were just meeting them. It was hard to feel the full stakes of of what it meant. But mm-hmm. you know, how heartbroken were we when after watching Gamora and Peter Quill's relationship go at the end of Endgame, she doesn't know who he is, and you're like, But that's all right. When we get into the Guardians movie, they'll have it all worked no, we'll out. Have to, oh. They'll be dating and friends again. And it that didn't even happen through the end of this movie.
0: No, but they got the endings that they got the endings that they deserve, <laughs> right? Well, and like Ingridmore did find a new family. It wasn't the family we wanted. It was her her pirates, whatever they call them, writers. or the ravagers. The ravagers. She she still found family. Everyone got a good ending, basically a, an emotionally good ending. So, and she
2: oh. pulled out Quill's weakness, which is like, why do you have to have me? What have you lost? Like, why mm-hmm. does it have to be me? And then that's where Quill realizes oh, it's because I have family on Earth and I'm too afraid to go back because mm-hmm. I thought they pushed me out. Because as a kid, I mean, your grandpa pushes you out of the hospital but room.
1: it also she's a really hot green alien. Let's not leave that part out of <laughs> that it, too. Let's
2: never. Sometimes she's a hot blue I'm not alien. on that team.
1: <laughs> no, that's all right. But that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm speaking for Peter Quill now true, a little true. bit. Oh, I know. But but you're right. And, and she's like, that's not me. That's an alternate future version of me, which is kind of weird to think about because we've watched the original Gamora And we're used to the other things being the alternate. You're the alternate past version of Gamora. She's not the alternate future version of you.
2: But then you, you know, at the end, she, you realize that she actually does care about Quill. You see that moment where.
1: Well, I think she realizes that there's no reason to hate him and that she at least validates that he could have feelings for a version of her and that that's not foreign, but. Who, who wants to see Nebula and Peter Quill together now? A part
2: of me wanted to, <laughs> right? Because she, had such a, she has such a she's such a great. Look at me like that, yeah. She has a great story arc now, and she's now just such a lovable character. I want yeah, her to come back. Yeah, she went from
1: a hateful, vengeful, destroying thing who only wants to please her absent her, her father who refuses to show her any affection, to being somebody who gives affection and and essentially. I mean, she felt more like leader of the team for most of the movie than than Peter did, oh, but yeah. in part because Peter was drunk.
0: Peter's drunk and totally messed up. She's at the, the mayor of nowhere.
1: She is. <laughs> All right, so that's that was where our thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Let's take another break, and then after we come back from the break, there we go. When we get back from the break. We're going to talk about some of the characters introduced and give you a little bit more information on some of them because you may have seen them in the movie and wondered, should I know more about them? Or they seem somewhat, (laughs) yeah, they seem somewhat prominent. I wonder if there's something that I don't know about them. So we'll give you some background so that uh, when you see the character next time, you'll know just a little bit more and it'll be a more rich experience. All right. So we're talking Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. At this point, we're now going to go a little bit more in-depth on some of the new characters who've been introduced. Uh, A little bit about their history, both in the comics and then what role they played in the movie. And, you know, what do you need to know about this character? Or what would at least help you to maybe enjoy this character a little bit more next time you see the movie? So why don't we start with uh, – sorry, I have a list here. (laughs) Why don't we start with the villain, okay? So we'll start with the high evolutionary, then we'll talk about Adam Warlock, uh, because he ends up playing a key role in it, but uh, the movie version of Adam Warlock was significantly different than the comic version of Adam Warlock, which is okay, because he's not as well-known a character. If you'd have brought in uh, Captain America and had him be like a doofus teenager, then I think it wouldn't have gone over as well as being able to sort of, hey, you don't know anything about Adam Warlock. Let's do it this way. So, well, let's start with our villain, the high evolutionary. Okay. So in this movie, he's played by Chukwudi Iwuji, which I'm sure I just didn't do his name any justice at all. Uh, In this version, he's a long-lived alien geneticist who's the founder and CEO of the intergalactic bioengineering company OrgoCorp. That was the name I was trying to get earlier, but couldn't remember and he wants to make lower life things he considers lower life forms into more evolved versions of that, eventually to the perfection of each species. So he create he's so these are some of the things he's created. So the evolved animals are indeed called the Annie men, a n i dash men. Sorry, you've got the sovereign who were the gold people that the guardians laid waste to half their society <laughs> in the second one. Uh, and mostly because Rocket wanted to steal the batteries only because they told him not to.
2: Yep, Harper Larry
1: batteries. Um, <laughs> and then you've got uh, Species 8-9-P-1-3, otherwise known as Rocket Raccoon. Actually, he went on to become Rocket Raccoon. So, the only reason he was, we, we mentioned it earlier, the reason he loved Rocket was because Rocket was the only one that really evolved mm-hmm. besides physically and emotionally and Rocket was the one who was able to solve the evolution of the other animals uh, but one of the people we saw we saw that little girl who was running in the upside down circle
0: oh, the next the next iteration of awesome genetic of things. perfection yes. a per- a yes. perfection there we go
1: now that little girl is now part of the Guardians she was one at the end her name's Philavel. we'll talk about her in a sec too is she
0: in the comics then yes cool Cool.
1: Um, actually for a minute I thought she was love from Love and Thunder for a second <laughs>
2: No, I didn't
1: think that. <laughs> but I haven't She's seen that. The in right moment. alien. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize she was one of the kids from the from earlier in the movie. That mm-hmm. that was the thing that I had to look up on the internet afterwards. So, at any rate, um, high evolutionary just incinerates whatever doesn't work, and he mm-hmm. starts over. He feels no attachment to his subjects. Um, when he does that to Rocket's friends, Rocket rips <gasps> his face apart, Which is and that's creepy. why. He, I don't know if you caught the RoboCop line. Uh, that Peter Quill said was because the first thing I thought when I saw his face up close was like, oh my gosh, it looks like RoboCop, where they just basically stuck Staple. flesh over something oh. and stuck it, hooked it to some metal. The
2: nerd in oh. me thought of uh, Star Trek Insurrection.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. you got them too. <laughs> yeah, you got that's what I too. thought of. But if you go, if you ever, you could look up images of RoboCop, and when he has the visor thing off, his face looks exactly like the high evolutionaries, as far as how it's stretched and hooking all the way around.
2: I was like, Red Skull for a minute. I was like, Red Skull? Oh, no, no. That no, guy's no, no, not no. there. <laughs> no, but
1: there was yeah. Uh, so with uh, the High Evolutionary, he has powers. Uh, he's apparently evolved himself to where he controls gravity to some extent uh, or whatever it was that he was doing. Um,
0: I just thought that was the technology in him. So he actually has powers gen- genetically that he's manipulated? Yeah,
1: I mean, he's manipulated enough. Gene- I got the impression that they were powers that he—I thought they made a mention of it, how— he's even beyond what he was and that's why he's able to like crush Adam Warlock and throw cool. the guardians around and stuff cool. like that. So at any rate uh he ends up destroying Counter Earth which he created and uh but then he's ultimately defeated by the guardians and uh does he die? They leave him to die. We don't know if he's oh, actually dead. Oh, of course. You can't <laughs> I that he can't have died. A for sure. To, and and everybody knows with comics nobody's ever really dead
2: unless you see them die they're not really dead.
1: And even then it well, doesn't matter because back we've, got Gamora, we've got Gamora, and- <laughs> who we've got Gomorrah. who have got alternate we saw universes. Die. Right, and mm. you can bring them in whenever the script calls for it.
0: clones after clones after clones. We actually I should
2: just have a whole podcast about how the how the multiverse may have ruined Marvel.
1: Or but- it preserved Ooh. it forever.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: <laughs> no, but that's a, it's worth it's worth. I I, I say in lots of episodes. Because this is this is how I look at a lot of fan things. Stan Lee once said, I don't remember if it was at FanX or if it was somewhere else, he said, to me, when people argue about who could win in a fight, like Hulk or Wolverine, mm-hmm. he says, the answer is whoever the writer wants to win. He goes, if you want a baby to beat the Hulk, you just have to write away that the baby beats the Hulk. So <laughs> whether or not a baby could beat the Hulk is irrelevant because if you're the writer— You can have any outcome you want. That's
0: what's wonderful about imagination.
1: Exactly. I agree. So having the ability to bring back a character from the dead and, you know, it's a soap opera thing. But there's a reason is because it's an effective it's at least an emotionally reactive uh, way to do to, to tell part of a story. I mean, there's a reason they've done it so much in soap operas. There's a reason that. Comic characters never stay dead because there's the fun of the reveal of, wait a second, how is that person standing there? Unless
2: their death really meant something, then well, I think they should stay dead.
1: And You're we, right. We love the yeah. mystery
2: of
0: how, Again, how to explain it away. And, it's like, not react.
1: always, but that's it's the device. Mm-hmm. Gwen Stacy's dead, for sure dead in Marvel Universe 616, which is the main one yeah. uh, of the comic universe, but she's reappeared in. She's Gwen in, into the Spider-Verse. There's the, the point is, is once a character dies, it allows you to bring them back in a dramatic way or bring back what appears to be them in a dramatic way. Because that's an often a tool of, oh, my gosh, how is it you? Well, it turns out I'm actually her twin sister.
0: Oh, bum, dun, bum. dun, dun,
1: dun. And, and that's a it's a fun storytelling device. If it gets yeah. overused, it kind of takes the fun out of it and it becomes, you know, the term lazy writing Too predictable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't feel like there was a lot of lazy writing in this, uh, in Guardians Volume Three, uh, but the High Evolutionary in the comics he's a human from Earth. Yep. They kind of hint that maybe he could have been a human from Earth. He, he hints that he's been to Earth at the very least. Obviously, that's where he got the raccoons,
0: and like he's creating a newer version of Earth, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah.
1: that the, there's some reason for it. Now in the comics, Counter Earth existed, but it was a, a planet that was built that was set exactly on the opposite side of the sun from Earth. So that's yeah. why it was never visible. <laughs> okay.
0: The science it's fiction clever. it's clever. loves that idea. And
1: so that's why Earth didn't know about counter-Earth, because it was rotating around I the sun it. at the exact same speed <laughs> on the opposite side. I love it. Um, and this counter-Earth seemed to be way further away than that. So it doesn't matter. But I thought that was kind of a clever little bit from the comics. The high evolutionary is a human. Uh, he spends time. He, he's been around since like the 1930s. He becomes a geneticist. He he learns some skills from one of the X-Men's villains, yep. Mr. Sinister. Um, eventually, he starts performing experiments in a place called Wondagore Mountain, which, by the way, was the place where um, in Black, Doctor Strange in the uh, Multiverse Black, of Madness. Widow. Where uh, Scarlet, Scarlet Witch, Witch yeah. that's the mountain she was on top yeah. of. Uh, it was also where Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were born. Yep. Um, so Wondagore Mountain itself is has a whole thing to do with the high evolutionary. So I don't know if that's going to be sewn together over future Marvel movies. It is worth pointing out for everybody that knows that Kang's going to be the big villain. That's fine. But
2: we also don't know if Jonathan Majors
0: is going to. Oh, that's w- a whole right. other that, issue. That, but that's, and, but that's issue. what I'm saying, yeah, like, before, that, so.
1: if you're worried about that, because if Jonathan Majors has somehow, you know, messed up the ability for them to make the story that they're originally going to make, uh, they pivoted towards Thanos in the process of the 10 years between Iron Man and Infinity War, like that wasn't originally going to build necessarily yeah. to what it turned into. That's kind of how story they, they originally had. Each infinity stone was going to be kind of its own thing. Um, and, you know, they hinted that Thanos wanted the infinity gauntlet, but um, if you read through the history of the Marvel cinematic universe and the, the story writing process, after a few movies, they decided to pivot towards this and then they started writing everything towards that. So, we're, we're only a little bit into this Secret Wars and Kang. Um, There's so
2: much that could happen in this new phase. They, they can
1: they can fix things if they have to. Maybe it won't turn out to be as good of an idea when it's all said and done as what originally was going to be the case. But the point is they can still pivot. So
2: but there I, I... could
1: be more that ties up with the high evolutionary with what we saw with Wondegore Mountain where uh, Scarlet Witch died. So th- this isn't by any means finished as far oh, yeah. as it goes. So, all right. So that's, uh, the high evolutionary. He, he kind of has a suit of armor similar to Dr. Doom that he built himself. He's, he goes crazy. Um, Crazy. He's got Ego- powers. Crazy, he gets superpowers and then he gets like godlike powers and then something happens and he reverts and it's just a series of ups and downs with this guy over He's the years. He's just
2: obsessed with perfection. The also. biggest thing
1: is I thought he had a cool suit of armor <laughs> when I read it in the comics. And I the didn't really understand really awesome. what they were trying to tell when I was 10, 12, 14 years old.
2: See, I love that it's his toxic trait is making making he feels like everything just has to be perfect and that's his toxic trait. Like I like the whole stretched out face. Like people think wrinkles are imperfections. So not well, that he did yeah. that to do that, no, but
1: because he, he looked like the red skull underneath.
2: Yeah, I, I don't blame Literally, him for doing the that. the red but...
1: skull, the bloody oh, yeah. red skull.
2: Yeah. I just love that he thinks that that that's what makes him so awful is that he can't accept flaws well, whatsoever. And it and he becomes. Gee, I wonder one of who the...
1: else is like that in this world. No, it's not. I'm not just referring to any of us three because none of us, of course, are obsessed with perfection. But. You, it's, you know, it's, okay. it's a trait that, it's a trait that most people it. share. Let's just say it that.
0: Well, way. and I think that's one of the things is what makes a good villain is when they have kind of a believable uh, backstory and and morals and emphasis. And like, how many people get so lost in wanting to be perfect that it kind of messes up their life? So this is just an extreme. So and
2: I would have loved to have learned why the high, high evolutionary is so obsessed with having a perfect civilization. In the movie, like, was there something he experienced when he? I don't know if he was from Earth or wherever, and that he felt like he needed to make that perfect society. He's
0: got a dentist. What ended up
1: happening was he got an A minus on one of his papers, (laughs) and his dad just let him have it that he was not he he was a failure of a son, and so from that moment on, the high evolutionary was like to create robot
2: raccoons. I will
1: build a rocket raccoon, and I will experiment on bunnies and make them spider bunnies. Until I've achieved perfection. So it really goes back to the high evolutionary's dad. And oh, some parents. failed expectations. It's always dad issues. It's always it's dad. Peter's issues, Peter Quill's issues with I his know. dad. So, no. All right. <laughs> so well, that's the high evolutionary. It doesn't really matter so much his comic history because most people don't know it that deep. Mm-hmm. But anyway, those were some things about him. So the the things that were most similar, his pursuit of perfection, uh his creation of the animal people, um, and then his relationship to Adam Warlock this was a good way to introduce him because I didn't realize till I did some studying how closely related those two characters were in the comics. Oh over yeah the years.
2: he goes after he goes to fight Adam because he wants Adam to Sorry, we can talk out. out no, that's
1: what I said. So let's no, move yeah, on, let's to on to Warlock. Adam Warlock. <laughs> now, in the movie, Adam Warlock, they teased him in the uh, Thor The Dark World, Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, by the way, he was in the yeah, collector's show I was
0: wondering shop. what happened there. Yeah. And
1: then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, we obviously see that's the post credit scene. Cocooned. I will call him Adam. Adam. Um, and he's played by Will Poulter. Now, when that <laughs> was cast and was announced, I was like, what the what? I, I was like, this is like a kind of a... Like a golden god, like power levels on the level of Thanos in the comics. Yeah. I mean, he's the one who essentially defeats Thanos in the Infinity Gauntlet story. He's, at it him. he's
2: built to man. defeat the Guardians mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. in the movies he is. Yes, right. Yeah. But he was
1: bi- – the- whatever, he's a powerful <laughs> character in the comics, and I was surprised that they picked uh, Will Poulter, who's kind of a comic actor. You first saw him in the Chronicles of Narnia. He was Eustace the Cousin yep. in the last two Narnia movies. Uh, and then for a lot of people, he's most famous for uh, the movie with Jennifer Aniston and Will's, or Jason Sudeikis. We're the Millers. We're, yeah, we're yeah. the Millers. Where <laughs> it's, it's not a movie I recommend to a lot of people, but there's a scene where, uh, because none of them are related to each other, they're just posing as a family. There's a scene, he's complete nerd, and he kind of has a crush on this girl they meet at a campsite. Well, Jennifer Aniston and then the girl who's supposed to be his sister, and I, I can't think of her name right now, but she's really attractive at Anyway, they're like, well what are you going to do? And and he's of course nerdy Eustace type person, only now he's grown into a teenager. He doesn't know what to do. They're like, "Well, do you know how to kiss?" No. So there's a scene where he sits he sits on the couch in the RV that they're taking. So bad. And Jennifer Aniston's like, "Well, let me see what you got." <laughs> so he makes out with Jennifer Aniston for a sec. And then the girl, the other says, all right, well, let me see. So he turns around and he makes out with her for a sec. And she's like, okay, you've got some technique. And he sits there for like three minutes and he makes out with each of them at the same time because they're teaching him how to kiss. And I thought.
0: <laughs> and he's like this awkward teenage guy. Oh, yeah, guy. so awkward. And it's so crazy. And I thought. And I always think of this awkward teenage guy and then he's going to be Adam. Right. <laughs> But he fit and the so thing. And I will say well. this.
1: I will say this. Nothing that will happen in Will Poulter's life ever <laughs> will equal that day of shooting that he had. You got to on write Here out Jennifer Millers. Aniston? At the same time, with an. Like, nothing, <laughs> nothing will ever top that. He can never have another role that could top that. But at any rate, I, uh, I, I digress. Just love,
0: I'm like, what's his name? And all I had to do was Google the guy with the eyebrows and immediately came and up. And so I didn't
1: even think about the eyebrows. Oh, but it's, what I always he's, he's known for being awkward. So that when they cast him as this powerful being, I thought, what are they doing here? <laughs> and it here? works so
0: well. Because he baked. He's not right. quite done yet. So yeah. that's,
1: that's the key. So the Sovereign, his, he's created by the Sovereign, his mother, Aisha, and then... The High Evolutionary apparently was in part of the process, which we yeah. didn't know seeing at the end of Volume 2, but I guess maybe they retconned as part of Volume 3. But he comes in like Superman with a cape and everything, and he's got Superman-type powers.
2: Dun, 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 dun.
1: <laughs> right. And a great song playing, the Crazy on You playing at the same point. But what we find out is because they pulled him out of the cocoon early, mm-hmm. he didn't develop all the way. so they not ex- perfect. Right. And he's he's... Awkward.
0: Session with perfection. I told you. That the, the, but that's the name what of made him so amazing. funny
1: is is the awkwardness. Then was written into the character, but just that one line. If you pulled him out too early, and he's kind of like a child, suddenly allowed for him to have the full powers, but to be a kid. And his lines were just awesome. You know, like, well, I don't like how this is making me feel.
0: <laughs> he really made the movie. He, I. Lo- he really did.
1: He was a key role for sure. So at any rate, he. Uh, he, he's, he has to watch his mother die in the explosion. He can't save her despite his powers. That's very Superman-ish, by the way. Some people were saying, do you think James Gunn looked at Adam Warlock as Superman, and this is part of the reason he wants to write the Superman movie for DCU? Maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Could be. There are lots of Superman parallels with Adam Warlock. Um, and then, at any rate, he he uh, he's inspired by Groot. Saying that everybody should have a second chance. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I am Groot, he didn't yeah. understand it. Yeah, the I am Groot that time just made a huge difference. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we should do the whole episode. I am Groot. I am Groot. I am Groot. I'm Groot. I'm Groot. <laughs> People can just fill in what they are. You guys really don't know. You're just making up what he's saying. <laughs> so All good. right. So that's the movie version of Adam Warlock. And when we finish, he's now part of the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, led by Rocket and Groot. Now, the comics version of Adam Warlock, and I won't take too long because it really most of it doesn't matter, but he originally appeared in 1967. He's been around that long. Oh, wow. That surprised me. I didn't realize he'd been around that long. He was in the Fantastic Four comics. Uh, He's a cosmic being artificially created uh, on Earth, genetically engineered to be perfect. So this is why he links with the High Evolutionary. Um, Eventually, he runs into the High Evolutionary in the comics, and that's who names him Adam Warlock. And then he's eventually recognized as a hero of the universe, protecting it from threats like Thanos, uh, a thing called the Universal Church of Truth, and then his own evil counterpart, Magus. Uh, He's also, in the comics, the bearer of the Soul Stone. That was what a lot of people were wondering was would the the Infinity Stones come back? He did have something in his forehead, but they never allowed. They never said it was like the Soul Stone.
2: Yeah, they just said like a gem or something. Well,
1: so first of all, you can't have the Soul Stone in a dude's head in a movie with Gamora. Not after what happened in the yeah. Avengers movies. Okay, that wouldn't work very well. But that was kind of what he did. He there were times where he stole his own soul from the future into the Soul Stone to prevent some stuff. Like when you get into cosmic stuff, there weren't a lot of rules or continuity much in Marvel comics in the seventies for some of that stuff. Not certainly not as tight as it was down with like the key superheroes so a whole bunch of weird stuff happens eventually he joins the guardians of the galaxy in the comics and um interestingly enough he has a second version uh, in the in the early two 1990s this is when i discovered him and this is kind of how he has been uh, ever since then um he was in part of the infinity gauntlet storyline he was the kind of the being powerful enough to deal with thanos and that's why when they introduced Adam in the cocoon at the end of volume two, I figured they were going to have him play a role in Infinity War because yes. he he's a linchpin in the Infinity Gauntlet story and in the Infinity War comic story. Uh, but, you know, Marvel has done a great job of just picking kind of what Star Wars has done with the Legends timeline. They just pick out the stuff from this existing stories that aren't technically canon so that they can fit it into the story that they're creating. This was another example of that. Uh, but. Adam Warlock in the comics, cosmic. Adam Warlock in the movies, cosmic but funny.
0: Comedic. Cosmic. And,
1: yeah. you know, maybe we'll get to see Will Poulter again. So
0: I'm
2: sure. I kind of want to. <laughs> I'm sure they'll bring funny. him back. I mean, you got the Fantastic Four showing up again.
1: Now, the other key character that was introduced that may play a role going forward is Phyla Vell is what her name is. That's the little girl who was running in the in the treadmill that was and circular. And helped save the rest of the kids. The, cool the exercise hair. wheel, but she could go all the way upside yeah. down. <laughs> And I think, she was, I think she was one of the two he kids did. at the table that was playing the game, too. Yeah. But mm-hmm. at any rate, they save the kids from, uh, from the High Evolutionary ship, and she ends up, this kid ends up joining the Guardians. They don't say her name in the movie. It just shows in the credits as Phyla yep. And I believe James Gunn has done some interviews talking about it, saying, yes, that's Now Now, uh, in uh she was played by a, a, the, the actress Kaizen, uh, this version is the youngster who joins the Guardians in the comics. Though this character, Phyla Vell, has a huge, huge, rich history that I'm not going to take the time to go at. But she's is she essentially still a child she's the daughter of the original Captain Marvel, who was a Kree soldier. Um, she eventually takes on the roles of um, Let's see, <laughs> over the course of her history, she has been known as Quasar, Captain Marvel, also. And then uh, a character called Martyr at various points in her history. Uh, in the comics, uh, she's um, she's lesbian. So that may be something that ends up being introduced later. The, just, yeah. just so you can say, if it does happen, you can't say that there wasn't some yeah. comic base to it. Um, but she's... Uh, she's pretty powerful. She took over the role of Quasar in the comics and then you get these, this is where she may end up playing a role with the Marvels. Because at one point she had the powers of what are called the quantum bands, which are these bracelets. I think the quantum bands are what? Ms. Marvel has. Marvel has. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's when you'll see them swapping places, that was a function that the, the original quantum bands, they were called the negabands at one point, so there's all these different names of it.
2: Are the ten rings involved as the bands too?
1: No. Okay. The ten rings. Well, case. okay. Now they may be in this universe. <laughs> yeah, it seems like, like it follows they the they right pattern. <laughs> yeah, and they may be all made of the same material. When it's all said and done.
2: Like I, yeah, the rings play a huge part, even in Ant Man too. But we can talk about that <laughs> another time.
1: So, we've got Philevell, who may end up being a big thing later, but she's not much in this. But it's the introduction of a character that could end up playing a role going forward, yep. and we'll see. Maybe she does show up in the Marvels later this year. Okay, so that's characters that you may need to know a little bit better because these are characters that have kind of weight and history in the Marvel Comics universe. We'll see how they end up being used going forward in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm sure the Guardians will somehow make an appearance as we get to the next big Avengers crossover. At least little cameos. Because why not? Fun. People liked them, and they are going to be characters to be made.
0: <laughs> well, and I also th- well, and I also think because people are kind of experiencing a superhero burnout at the moment, I think we're going to get a little more flexibility in the storytelling where they don't want to appeal to everyone necessarily, but more of uber fans. So I think we are going to get a little bit more cliche, not cliche. Ni- niche. Well, they can't niche. <laughs> niche, thank you. Niche. <laughs> niche interactions and we'll see more like interactions of the characters that have we We've already fallen in love with, but niche, haven't really interact with each way. other. Niche. Niche. Niche.
1: So we'll see. <laughs> but but you're right. Um, Bob Iger of Disney, again, real world creeping in onto everyone's favorite fantasies, has said they're going to slow down some of the production Very of things. happy about that. Which I think is a good thing. I think it's a good thing. I, think, um, I don't
2: think anyone hates that that I've talked to. No, but if they
1: were going to said, we're going to make three more Tony Stark Iron Man movies with Robert Downey Jr., I don't think people would be like, no, why don't we wait 10 more years? (laughs)
2: No, I would say no completely to that.
1: You would not.
2: Yes, I would. I feel like if you do that, you're just rooting Tony's very heroic. Yeah, because you
1: could put it earlier in the the, the time. If they they were going to bring back Tony Stark as Iron Man, you would not complain.
0: Look what they're doing with Harrison Ford. Like You can do I think I would.
1: You say you would, but on opening day, where will you be?
2: I mean, I go... Because I have to see what it's going to be like. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, me as a Marvel fan right now, I go because I want to know what... You want to know what the story is building money, up to. Money. It's
1: always money. You're right, Kellyanne. Mm-hmm. Even though we couldn't hear you rubbing your fingers together like money. <laughs> we we knew that's what you we're, meant.
0: We're Sharon and Mike. Me and Natalie are. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a little different we're today. We're fun and close today. All right. Aww.
1: So the Guardians at the end of Volume 3 are Rocket, Groot, Adam Warlock, Kraglin, who finally mastered the art of the whatever Dragon, Arrow thing Dragon. is. <laughs> Cosmo, the super dog.
0: Who is a good dog.
1: She is a good dog. She is a good dog. And then Phyla-Vell. Phyla-Vell. And that's Phyla-Vell, the
0: little Phyla-Vell, girl. Phyla-Vell, the yeah, Vell. that's New the little blonde yeah. girl. Yeah.
1: And what her powers are specifically, they never defined in the movie, but again, we'll see how things end up. She's young. That would be an obvious way for interacting between her and Kamala Khan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Guardians okay. Volume 4. Will we ever game. see it, or would it be a Guardians reboot?
2: I don't think we'll see a Guardians four.
1: Do you think that could be made without James Gunn? I don't
2: think so. I, I don't think you don't not think as it good. Could be? I, I'd say I'd say not <laughs> of as course good. It could be, it could but be, but not right. as good. Okay. I
0: I don't think because so many of the actors want to do don't want to do that, and James Gunn is gone, and it, we're in a very different phase now with Marvel. I don't think we get a four, but I think we'll see them interwoven, the Guardians interwoven through others. So
1: no more solo courts. movies for the team, I, even I with done. the current team.
2: I don't think so. I think he'll just see them pop up because, like you said, I think Philo Bell would be great with the Young Avengers. Mm-hmm. Just pop it in there once in a while because that seems to be building up as well. Right? She Love was a
1: Young and, Avenger, probably. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of and Young so, Avengers.
2: And Adam Warlock's just been very likable, so he'll come back. And, I just I wanted Adam, even if it's
0: just like a what if episode. Like, yeah.
2: On. I think he just it, it would be difficult. Um, I'm I, this might be wrong but it's my opinion so um <laughs> but because we're already so close to rocket like um he's someone we're familiar with but sometimes i've noticed at least with the new series of marvel uh shows and movies if they bring in someone new and they feel like you already like them already it feels really off so like all these guardians are pretty much new except for Kraglin and rocket and we do sort of we like adam warlock but you know we just got introduced to the do- cosmo in the holiday special but I feel like it'd be too fast to have them be like a, uh, like a, just a Guardians movie, a new Guardians movie. I think we need to fight like the new characters a little bit more before we make a new Guardians movie. Okay. I think it'd fall flat if it didn't.
1: I think that's a good opinion. I think you're wrong. Thank you, Andy. Uh, two things. One is uh, the one thing I didn't mention earlier, which I, I which deserves mention, uh, which I believe deserves mention. Let me rephrase that. Mm-hmm. Is that One of the things that was the best about this is the thought that between Bradley Cooper's voice and the animators at Marvel, at, uh, you know, and Sean Gunn as Rocket. Is that your Oh, because no, no, no. I I was just saying the fact that they created a character who has never existed in physicality. Bradley Cooper was not on set dressed as Rocket. Um, And because he's a completely CG character about whom, you know, who the emotional core of the whole story is about, they'll never get any recognition from the Academy of Motion Picture Science. But they created a character that you legit cried over. Mm -hmm. You legit cried and were heartbroken as to what happened. To a fake raccoon who's never physically been around and yet was as real to you as the physical people who were on the screen, that acted out that were in costume and all of those things like that to me deserves some major props. Like,
2: well, didn't they give um, Andy Serkis an uh, Oscar nom for? Uh
1: one of the Planet of the Apes yeah, movies? I think they did. Possibly. I think they I, that did. But familiar. then you'd have to
2: give the Academy to Sean, Sean Gunn because he was the one that did all the facial expressions and everything for Rocket.
1: Well, I'm fine with it being shared among things, but it also doesn't work without Bradley Cooper's voice acting. Oh, I know. But so what, what I'm very, saying is all very... this together, this collaborative effort has created a character that never existed in physicality, was never on set specifically for people to interact with. When it was, uh, even if it was Sean Gunn like hunched down in a green suit trying to do some of um, Rocket's movements, yeah. it still uh, needed Bradley Cooper's voice, which it didn't have on set. Yeah. So all this together to create a character that you, that you bond so strongly with, I feel like that deserves recognition that it probably won't get.
0: Probably not. I don't so. think it will. There's just too many moving pieces with it. I think we as fans... Can show that appreciation, and I think we have for for a good part. Um, but you know, any type of storytelling, there's multiple people in it. Even us sitting here, we had to have we have three people. We have someone editing. We have uh, different things. Any type of storytelling, you're gonna have multiple people in order to to come together. So I think this is just a, a newer idea that we can have different aspects of a character being portrayed and created uh, with physicality, with computer graphics, with uh, voicing um, and come together to one story. I, I think this is just a progression of storytelling. Yeah. Well, Sean
2: Gunn did do the voice for Little Rocket, Little Rocket
0: but
1: not oh, Big okay. Rocket. Oh, baby Rocket. So he's oh, the one that said hurts. hurts. Yeah, he's the
2: one that goes hurts. Oh. Yeah. But like, how
0: beautiful how he picked his own name. Like, oh, there's so many wonderful emotional stuff as well in this. And yeah. I don't. I don't know. <laughs>
2: the name part, and then when Rocket finally says, "I'm Rocket Raccoon," that it, was that was the. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain America lifting (laughs) (laughs) Millenore moment in that movie for me.
1: (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All right. So, last thing before we wrap it up. Every year that passes, we get older. I know that's groundbreaking information, but (laughs) this is the first time that we have had, since 2008, is the first time in movie history that we've had interconnected movie universes going forward, like where multiple. Characters in their own movies, then crossing over. Comics obviously have been doing it forever. First time that we've had it in movies. Well, now we are 15 years in to this experiment. We've had some amazing movies. Um, we've had some characters that we never thought we'd like in a movie. If you'd have told us in 2008 that you're going to like watching a movie about Ant Man,
2: <laughs> are you going to cry over a raccoon?
1: Even Iron Man, or that you'd cry over a CG raccoon. You, The you from 2007 would have said awesome, but you'd have had a hard time comprehending it or believing it. Well, now here we are 15 years later, and there's no way we can experience again what we experienced the first time through in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We can't because we've already done that. Yep. So now as the movies come out, there's going to be a natural disconnect for each of us as we get older. So here's the question. Oh no. Hmm. Who should make the decisions about where the series goes? Should they cater to us who continue to get older or should they write stuff for our kids who are now coming up through it so that they can have a similar experience? No. Because, you know, my 10-year-old, uh, we watched all the Marvel movies, but he was not even he was he was born the week before Iron Man 3 came out. Okay? So he missed the whole first two phases or first (laughs) the whole first phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's now 10. Um, What should be written for him and his age? And do we as the older group have the right to get mad when they start telling stories for the younger generation? Because it feels like that's kind of what we're already sort of trying to do with Marvel's Phase 5 and 6 is we grumble about the ones that aren't the characters we already knew and we love the ones that are about the ones characters we already knew.
2: Yeah. You know, you made my point earlier. Right. Yeah. But that's what
1: I'm saying. We, we liked it. Part of the reason that we've liked uh, the ones of us who did like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Killian. <laughs> Just kidding, Killian. <laughs> but the reason the ones of us did I think this is due in no small part to the fact that of our familiarity with the characters and this is the next step in their evolution, the next phase. If they hadn't changed at all We'd be grumbling about how, why did they make this movie when none of these characters progressed? Or even if we didn't grumble about that specifically, we at least would have felt something was off mm-hmm. as we watched it. Yeah. So, and maybe this isn't one you have to answer right now. Maybe this is just something worth pondering going forward and, and we do a separate episode about it. But at what point does do we have to let go and let the stories be for the younger crowd? And I don't know. I'm 10 years older than Kellyanne, who's like 10 years older than you, Natalie. She's
0: like three. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I'm older than
1: both of you. But
0: I think there's a natural progression in storytelling that happens, and it is you do have to capture the next generation. And because that lower generation, that younger generation was raised on these ideals, the, the story does progress. And I, I think it does need to shift over to the younger one, um, in such a way that you're not alienating the older, but educating them to newer ideas, um, and I, I think it's just that progression. Look at the Star Trek universe how different it, how different and revolutionary it was in the, the 60s to have you know uh, Captain Kirk and Uhura. There's a there's a kiss between people of different races. Oh no! Um, and then you look at some of the stuff Star Trek is coming out now, and it's pushing social boundaries. I think stories need to evolve to not alienate the higher, but to bring in the younger. And I think the, I think Marvel's going to you find do that both. balance. I
1: mean, is it possible to do both?
0: You can't please everyone,
1: right? And that's what I mean.
0: You can't like the, and I don't think you should even try to please everyone. The story is what needs to be carrying forward. Um, and I, I think we need to see stories that make us a little uncomfortable and challenge our reality and our, our ideas in order to progress not as – not just as an individual but, but people in a society as a whole. Um, so, you know, and I, I trust writers who have experience, who have uh, – are humble enough to cooperate and work with people. I think – writers and creators um as a whole if they're able to to have that collaboration and have that um gut instinct and 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 imperative to focus on the story um not just the money then things will get better you know i've seen some amazing graphic beautiful uh produced shows that have terrible stories and i don't want that i want the story to lead in everything in life and and to bring hope and progression. So I, I think, yeah, that's it's gonna be more towards a younger generation who grew up on this and they are gonna alienate some grown ups who don't like some of the stuff, but that's just how it has to be. Story is what carries on.
1: Okay. Natalie, what do you think?
0: Oh, so I agree with Kelly on on most
2: things. <laughs> um, when it comes to the MCU, um, I've I've actually thought about this question too, is because Marvel's already building out uh, you know, content for teenagers. Miss Marvel is an example of that. It was successful with teenagers. It was an and, me. It, and Killian. What does that say about you, Killian? Um, but but I like for me, I watched. It, I was like, it just it wasn't my audience, and that's why it didn't resonate with me very much. And so, like as a Marvel fan, I'm pretty much only looking forward to. Um, Things I'm familiar with already, so Echo, I'm familiar. I'm ex- excited for because I know Kingpin's gonna be involved somehow, and uh, Daredevil might be in it. And um, I like I don't mind having new content. I don't because it also helps me learn. I'm, I'm one of those Marvel fans that sort of jumped in when Iron Man came out. To be honest, um, it's okay. I, I grew up watching a lot of DC more than mm-hmm. Marvel, but uh, the first Iron Man movie really sucked me into the Marvel universe and it's changed my life.
0: a lot of sense,
2: I've gotten to do so many fun things because I'm a Marvel fan um, and friends with wonderful people who are still in the media when I jump ship. But um, I think it is important to still, like Kellyanne said, have um, something that is that tells a good story that a younger generation can relate to. Um, And I see that a lot, you know, again, with Star Trek and stuff. And I'll make an argument, though that, um, like with this last season of Picard, like, I know I was going to tell you everyone I brought my hand out to explain to Andy <laughs> and Kellyanne, <laughs> as I move my hand around, this is what happens We have ADHD, you have to move something, um... Move it. Just don't hit the desk. I'm drawing. I'm just moving it. Should I hit it for you? If you can hit it for me, thank you. Um, Where you can still keep the old stuff. Like, I love right now showing uh, my kids, like the old Spider Man movies. My kids Mm -hmm. now see Tobey Maguire as Spider Man. Mm -hmm. But in my head, I'm like, Tom Holland's going to be your Spider Man, though, or may not be, because when they get old enough to comprehend, there might be a whole new actor for Spider Man. -Man, Yeah. So um, I think it's great to have um you can still introduce them to the old stuff but then for them they have a whole other universe that's coming for them to look at and um as that progresses i also do like the idea where you could maybe have like a separate thing for us fans that are older and are already familiar with like falcon and winter soldier with loki um with some of the guardians that may pop up later like star star lord and stuff and then they also are kind of creating this young avengers And um, this is where maybe like this is where uh, young teens are going to see their adventures come from. So for me, I feel like this is going to be their phase. This is going to be where they have um, Kate Bishop and they have Miss Marvel and maybe Adam Warlock will see um, an echo where these are going to be their Avengers that they grow up with or defenders or whoever they're going to turn out to be. Um, And I think that's awesome to see that coming for them and i'm excited that there is going to be this new level of um superheroes and even though they're not my superheroes the one i've been watching since 2008 um i'm still appreciative that like miss marvel had great content involved in it um so has um like bishop hawkeye i thought that was a great series too and as long as it's wholesome and it shares good values and that they're still superheroes and there's people that my kids could look up to, I'm fine with that. And I you know, hope they continue to do that. Like I, with Picard, like they tried to, I think this season one and season two, I think they tried to cater too much to a different audience where the people that were going to watch it are Star Trek fans, that uh, already fans of Next Generation, so that's why season three worked out so well. But it, it'll, maybe this will turn out more like Star Trek, you know, where I, I never watched the original series. But I grew up watching Next Generation with my dad. And so I've fallen in love with Captain Picard but now like on said there's a whole new universe of new Star Trek shows. You should have
1: seen him when he was the sexiest man alive back in the 90s. He's
2: still hot for an old man, okay? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just since you fell in love with him anyway.
2: But there's again there you're I've in love with TNG and I've loved Strange New Worlds, the new series and um, but it's fun oh, awesome. to be able to have like I said to have this new generation of Marvel fans have their avengers to look up to because we already know all the spoil all the spoilers for all the original films. It's not like I didn't – I knew that Darth Vader was Luke's father, mm-hmm. not because I saw the movies, because people talked about it. It was
0: part of our – Yeah, up but,
2: but now they have their own Avengers to grow up with, since we know the spoilers. But it'll be fun to – again, my kids now want to watch the Avengers, or Civil War at least, because they know Spider-Man's in Civil War. So. Nice.
0: What I love something you said there is as long as it has the values within it um, that the brand represents, because storytelling is going to continue to evolve – um, but it needs to be entrenched in the values of, of the original one. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, if a show is very helpful, it, it needs to continue to be helpful. If it's socially progressive, it needs to be continually uh, to be social progressive. Um, you know, we, we listen to stories to progress as individuals. And I, I think those values are important to to any type of, of a growth of storytelling and marketing it to which generation comes up next.
2: Yeah. And um, one thing, uh, there's a podcast you guys should also listen to. It's called um, Films to Die With. It's Brett Goldstein. He's um, Roy Kent on Ted Lasso, right. and he um, is a writer on Ted Lasso. But he asks people like about their favorite movies. And one of the questions he— Does I he love, say
1: the F word a lot?
2: Yeah, he's British, <laughs> um, but it's such a good. It's a really fun podcast to listen to. But yeah, watch the language. But it's it. Well,
1: I was just saying that no. more as a joke because he sure does a lot. Oh, <laughs> but
2: um, one of the questions he asked: What is the movie you saw that made you feel seen? And I love that question. And so as um, as you know, progressiveness happens. Um, I like the fact that. Um, there's a lot more female, female superheroes now. Yep. I really appreciate that. I was so excited when Wonder Woman came out and my daughter wanted to watch it, but uh, her favorite superhero right now is Captain Marvel. So I have to deal with that, but it's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> but just, um, just saying that I hope that it, as they continue the, with the Young Avengers or the New Guardians or um, as they're inserting our Avengers into it and as they start growing out of those positions and leave... Um, that our our kids have their superheroes that they can look up to in those movies too. That they can feel like I relate so much to that superhero, and that's why I like that superhero the most. And I think that's why my daughter likes Captain Marvel because she knows she's a girl. Right. <laughs> Honestly, right now that's what my, my daughter likes. Her, it doesn't matter
1: why you like the superhero. It just matters that you like the superhero. Yeah. It Can be for a hundred different reasons.
2: Exactly. And I think that I, I guess making a complete circle back to Guardians Three is. Um, that none of the best, like I said, I love the theme of this movie that no one is perfect and none of the guardians are perfect. And we've learned that for the, from the first two movies that they're just like a band of misfits that had to become a family, but because they're not all perfect, they made an amazing team. And I think that's, what's great about superhero movies is that they all have their flaws. Even Captain America has his flaws. You have Iron Man definitely has his flaws, but they always overcome them. Um, but being able, these people growing up realizing they don't have to be perfect, but being able to see someone, a superhero, overcome that imperfection to be the best of themselves, I think is just the most important thing that needs to continue in storytelling, which I think is getting lost a lot, that we tend to start watching a lot of shows now. Like, I mean, I'll be the first to say, like, I really liked Breaking Bad. It was a great show. Mm-hmm. But you're rooting for someone that's doing something illegal mm-hmm. and bad. Mm-hmm. Where right now, I feel like, um, besides Disney, playing Disney movies... Superhero movies, um, especially within the Marvel universe, the people are, the main characters are people who are doing good things and are doing the right things. And um, even though, like I said, they're not perfect and you get to see them stumble, they overcome that. And I just, again, as, as a parent, I hope that these continue to be made. Even if they don't fit my, by my generation, I hope that the next generation gets to be a part of it. So,
1: Well said. As far as I am concerned, it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, there may come a point where I'm not as interested in watching them anymore, and that just might be the life stage that I'm in. Um, I've always enjoyed them. I, I I I like the idea of storytelling. I mean, that's part of the reason that you enjoy a movie is that you like being told a story. Um, I like you know. I actually had a friend ask me about this because they this friend doesn't really get superhero in sci-fi which doesn't get why people like him so much. She has kids who love him, but she just doesn't connect with them. And so we've had some discussions uh, about, you know, why that is. But, uh, you know, it'll be tough. It'll be tough. You know, it's, it's hard to go from being the center of attention. And I say that as the target audience for things. Mm-hmm. Um, comic books for so many years, they were considered childish because you grew out of them and they continued to write the stories for, you know, a 10 or 11 year old boy, mostly mm-hmm. um, as you get the stories. it's so, so, so Spider-Man never aged and technically the reader never aged because once you hit 15 or 16, you got cars, girls, and I'm talking about the boys that were the target audience, yeah. cars, girls, and college and high school and social and all those things. And so then it was back to the the next group is 10. Somebody's turning 10 every year. And so there, there's your that was your market for so long. Well, get into the 80s, early into the 90s, and they started That's to nice. realize, right? But you started to realize that the a lot of the people who grew up on it didn't stop necessarily because they didn't like the characters anymore, or that they didn't care, but maybe they just didn't feel connected to the stories anymore. So they began to want a little bit more mature writing. Um, Mid 2000s, say so I'd gotten so I collected comics until I was 19. And then I stopped and then, you know, I kind of kept an eye on what was going on in the comics world. You know, the library had comics that I could read every so on, but I, I didn't have the money and, and oh, yeah. time to, to pay and collect anymore. But then when Civil War happened in the comics in 2006 or seven, somewhere in there, six, I happened to read a few issues at the, you know, Spider-Man getting unmasked made national news like on actual newscasts. It did. <laughs> Because it had never happened. And I was like, what? Spider-Man? I better go read that. And I knew that the library had some issues. And they were easily marked. They were o- obvious. Any issue that was a Civil War crossover was clearly marked. So you could go to the comic rack at the library and find the ones that were relevant, like, immediately.
0: Death of Superman, same thing. Like, it right? became a social phenomenon. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, by the
1: way, have those issues. I have one that's still unopened Do you have in the armband of oh, grieving? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. I bought two of them at the day, back in 92. <laughs> but, um... That storyline, I'm reading it in the library, and it was so good. And but because it spoke to all the years of history that I'd put in, all these things that were happening, they didn't sit down and explain what the impact was. I knew what the impact was just by reading what was happening. Like, oh my gosh, Spider Man unmasked. How's that gonna go over for his employer who's you know? <laughs> He's been essentially duping for all these years. How's that going to go over? You know, the obvious thing was now all the bad guys are going to know where to attack. But it was other things like all all this stuff happened. And and it was just fascinating for me to read. And so that got me buying comics again for about two years. So I have Mm -hmm. two collections. I have the up to 1995 and then I have 2006 to 2008. And then I ran out of money again. And and, and I had kids and I had to stop. And so... The, there was a market then for writing these stories with these characters for older, and that seems to be where they've continued to go. Realizing that the people with the money now are the adults, <laughs> not necessarily the kids, and with the cost and, and everything, you know these, the these comics were thirty-five to seventy-five cents to a buck to a buck twenty-five when I was growing up, and now they're like five bucks a book and. It's, it's a lot, or more. I don't. I haven't bought any in a while, but it might be more than they're, five. But it's around. That, yeah. It's somewhere between there. But um, and then you've got digital comics that have come up. So, you, You've got this. I mean, I see it somewhat in radio and things too. You know, you've got an age who's connected to it, and you stay with them. But you've got to figure out how to get the next group in at the same time, that's and that's the challenge. So, I, I'm, I'm. There may come a day where I just have to say. Like, darn it, I wish I just felt a connection to these the way I used to. I think I will because I'm pretty immature emotionally a lot of ways. And so that this will always connect with me. But um, I like to watch it with my kids now sometimes just to kind of have their experience at the same time.
0: Same. Talking about new audiences, Andy, I wonder if you can um, talk a little bit real quick about a new audience that you're going to start to really be involved with soon.
1: Oh, that's a subject for another day.
0: No, just let, let people know.
1: Well, starting in July, I'm going to be the host of the movie show on KSL Radio in Salt Lake. Blue! Thank you. Um, and so, so there, there will be a different perspective. You know, the longtime host has been doing it for 36 mm-hmm. years of the movie show. And the co-host, uh, well, Doug Wright's the longtime host. Steve Sales is staying on as co-host yep, yep. with me. So um, there'll be some continuity. And then hopefully... You know, I'll bring a little bit of a different, I certainly am going to bring sort of the nerd fandom aspect to the show more so than it, than it has right now. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, it's a thing where hoping that, that we keep getting listeners as we keep going. Um, people who've listened to the show for a long time, I hope they stay and I hope we get a bunch of people who haven't listened to the show in a while or who never have listened to the show because they just don't listen to radio that much, but You'll be working in the digital uh, a little bit. Uh, I'm sure Fan Effect will be mentioned on the show. <laughs> um,
0: we we got to get a little more deeper dives than for on the podcast versus right because we don't have time on the radio to do no. what we've
1: done here which is we're now at the 90 minute mark so yeah um, ha-
0: but that, that's okay Ho- hopefully May. it's
1: been worth everybody's time to listen up uh, appreciate you listening if you've joined us via podcast or via a link on social media yep. or if somebody texted you or somebody said hey check this out or if you just heard our uh, commercial on ksl news radio that plays um,
2: <laughs> my Gosh, you guys, you guys reveal to the world that I don't like Star Wars well, or Harry Potter I, bands. I think
1: maybe we'll rewrite that. Uh, but, no, that's fine. But no one knows what's mean, but now they do. The idea is um, hopefully we'll see a lot more of those things in... Uh, and we hope that you'll keep listening. We've got great episodes um, as we try to get more content on here. We hope you'll keep listening. I
0: can't wait to talk Little Mermaid soon.
1: That's coming up next. Spider-Verse. Uh, not, Spider-Verse. we got a whole lot. Mission Impossible, Indiana Jones, a whole bunch of stuff this summer. Haunted Mansion. Uh, sure.
0: <gasps> Me and but, yeah. Kelly, I don't want to talk about, we'll talk about. <laughs> All right. but. Please provost or someone will come.
1: <laughs> Again, this uh, podcast is sponsored by Larry H. Miller Megaplex Theaters. We're grateful for their support to help make it possible. Natalie, thank you for joining us. We're glad you're okay mm-hmm. and that you're on the mend. Thanks, and guys. That, maybe next time you're on, you won't even have a lisp anymore because I'll have gotten everything fixed.
2: Hopefully, but you know what?
1: Nobody noticed it this time.
2: I'm, I notice it, but yeah, I I don't want to be pessimistic, but I may be this way for till Christmas time. So
1: well. But I'm hoping.
2: So this list may be here to stay for a bit. That's okay. But that's okay because it's cute.
1: Awesome. Well, (laughs) we're grateful that you're with us and we'll have you on again soon. And uh, for Kellyanne Halverson, I'm Andy Farnsworth. Thanks for listening to Fan Effect.